to open your word, we ask that you would open our hearts through your Holy Spirit, open our minds to receive from your word what you have for each of us today. And we thank you again for the opportunity to come to worship together as we commit this time now to, to your word and to, and to this time of growth and opportunity to draw close to you, close together in your word, Lord. 
we ask that you would set all other distractions aside for us, that we could truly draw into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Having been going through uh, this picture of conscience that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, I just want to, uh, I've got a couple more things I want to say in that area that, uh, uh, that I feel are important to share with you. Uh, kind of a summary from last week, you know, God created us to be in a relationship with him, to trust him, to rest in him, uh, to rest in his grace. And we would say that, you know, he's called us to have a relationship that would be based on faith in God, trusting him. Man chose independence. And when I mean independence, I mean this idea to be separate from God in the ways we think and make our decisions. We would, we would boldly call it freedom, but as I shared last week, that picture of freedom is that we have moved away from what God has created for us to be, and in reality, we're not free at all. In fact, we've sealed, as long as we rest outside of Christ, and we rest in this independence, uh, we have sealed our fate of, of doom and uh, eternal separation from God. And so we're not really independent at all. I think uh, I, I mentioned it every now and then, that the song that was written back in the 80s, you've got to serve somebody. And it, does, and it boils down to you're either going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve the devil. It's, there's, it's one or the other. And so our independence really isn't independence at all, and true freedom is actually being what God created us to be. And with this independence, though, that Adam and Eve initially chose in the garden came... Uh, the knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil, a conscience now that would accuse as, rather, as well as defend, and all of us understand what that is. All of us have had the times, even before we were Christians, where we realize we've done something that in our conscience accuses us. We feel guilty, and uh, that idea of knowing something about right and wrong, even outside of Christ. I mentioned last week that even criminals have a code of honor and an idea of right and wrong and, and, and limits uh, within different levels of, and stages of their relationships as to what is right and what is wrong. So basically, in this choosing of independence, what we did was we lost our freedom. We actually lost our freedom. We, we lost what it is to be what God created us to be. True freedom, gone, God in his plan before the foundation of the world, through Christ, through the cross, to restore, to redeem man, to restore man to this freedom that he created us for. To draw him back into being truly free. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 7 says that we are set free from sin. There's the part of that picture of, of what we are free now from. What are we free to? <laughs> Is to be what God created us to be. I'd like to look at uh, John chapter 8, verses uh, 32 through 36 this morning. And... Uh, uh, use that as a kind of a springboard into looking at this freedom a little bit. In fact, I'll, I'll back up to verse 31 here just to keep the whole context. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. So how do we know the truth? By what? Abiding in his word. I just I don't want to miss that. Uh, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will, be, uh, you will become free? In other words, how can you give us free? We, we're children of Abraham. You know, and he said, you know, basically, they didn't get what he was saying. And Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're children of Abraham or not. We've gone all through that in Romans. Already, it doesn't matter Jew or Gentile, if you have sinned, you are a slave to sin. You are guilty of sin, and you aren't free. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 uh, also says, for freedom Christ has set us free. For freedom Christ has set us free. So, knowing how I think at this point over the years, you, you can anticipate that I came up with my own little question here. If I'm free, then why does my conscience still bring conviction? If I'm free from sin and I'm free from this, how come I still wrestle with all of this stuff? I, I want to make sure, I know I've done this uh, several times over the, the, the last couple of years, a few years as we've been going through Romans, but I want to make doubly sure that you catch this picture. I said conviction. Sometimes we also say we actually feel condemnation, even as believers. Conviction, condemnation are not the same thing. Conviction is when we know that something is right and we've done what is wrong and God, through the Holy Spirit, through his word, convicts us. Okay? Condemnation is what Christ took care of on the cross once and for all, once we entered into our relationship with him. So again, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as a believer, though, I'm still wrestling with this right and wrong, uh, sin, flesh, spirit. Uh, Galatians 5.17 uh, basically uh, kind of puts a, a summary of what I believe Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 7. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Now, I'm saved, so I have what indwelling me? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. 
However, I'm still in this flesh, and there's no doubt in my mind that this is fallen flesh. It's not what God has planned for eternity. It has no match whatsoever to what Scripture tells me God has planned for eternity in reference to my flesh. So I know this is a remnant of Adam. And I know because of all the things that aren't working. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so uh, this, this battle between literally, even in a physical context, of what we will be versus what we are uh, right now, thinking of that and just this, this battle of, of, of the flesh. The flesh wants to be satisfied in the ways of the independent man, not in the ways of a godly man or a spirit-filled man. And so there's a battle going on. So keeping that in mind, this is this reality that this battle is going on. So if I'm, that, that, that need for my conscience to still be working. I'm free in Christ. I'm saved. But I'm still battling the flesh and missing the mark. Can we agree on that reality? I am saved, but because I'm still in this fallen flesh and there's that battle going on, I still find myself missing the mark. Therefore, my conscience bringing conviction and to, to ask forgiveness and to draw back into the Lord in, in seeking his face. So I wrote on the side of my notes here, at the same time, free in Christ, saved, battling the flesh and missing the mark, ah, sinning, at the same time, can that be possible? Right? Right? How can this be? There's a phrase that I, I don't remember the first time I heard it, but I've heard it more often lately, maybe because it's... I'm tuned into it more lately. I, I don't know. But there's a phrase saying, already and not yet. I don't know how many times you hear that phrase, but it's, it's there. Already, not yet. I would like to share a little bit of a thought about what that is. And this is the process that helped me grasp how I can be saved, and it's a done deal. I've been plucked from the fire, and, and I'm his, and nothing can undo that. And yet, I find myself battling sin. So I'm just going to start with a little barrage of scriptures, if you will, uh, that starts with uh, 1 Peter. And uh, that's in chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2. And verses 9 through 11. And I look at these verses, and I just, I, you can't... As a believer, when you read these verses, you can't help but get excited in thinking who you are, who God has already made you to be and is calling you to grow and, and to be. Peter writes, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The list that Peter puts here for us, a chosen people. You, that, you could just stop here and, and, and rest for quite a while. A chosen people. God of all creation before the foundation of the world has chosen his people. The other terms we use, elect, called, saved, born again, were his chosen people, a chosen race. And it includes Jews and Gentiles, slaves and freemen, women and men. You know, the, Paul makes sure we understand it's, 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 it has nothing to do with the way the earth and man who likes to be independent of God measures and looks at things. He's saying it just <laughs> called out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says in verse 10, once we were not a people, we had not received mercy, but now you are God's people and you have received mercy. So here is who we already are. We're chosen, called people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. He owns us. Period. He's called us out of darkness, drawn us into his light. We once weren't this. We did not have mercy, but now we are his people. We do have mercy. That's who we are already. But even so, we are sojourners in exile. Interesting combination of things. A sojourner you know, is, is a person who is a foreigner passing through. Or an alien resident. You're taking up temporary residence. I'm not trying to get into anything politi political here. Okay, just bear with me. The other word is exiles, which is basically would be a synonym for the one I just said, sojourners. A pilgrim. What is a pilgrim? But a person who is passing through from one place to the next. Okay. A pilgrim, uh, or a, and the, it was the exact opposite. The first one was alien resident. This one said resident alien. Uh, and one who resides in a foreign country late, you know, with the intent to go home. In other words, I don't see this is my home. Kind of sounds like what Jesus said. We're in the world, but not of it. So we're sojourners, exiles. Obviously, if we're sojourners, exiles, we are waiting for something ahead of us. 
Even in Hebrews, they talks about the, all the witnesses that went ahead of us, how they long for this city, this place that's ahead of them. Even though they hadn't seen it, they longed for it. They knew it was coming. Something had happened to them already, but something not yet was ahead of them. We're still in that place. Something has happened to us. It's done, but still not yet in the sense that we see it to be completed ahead of us. And while we are here, we all are waiting for a very specific event, the second coming of Christ. While we wait, we are saved, living in a fallen world, in it, but not of it, but living in it nonetheless, waiting, creates this environment for believers that we realize that we're, we've got more to see than what we see here. We've got more to know than what we know here. It's shadowy now, but it's going to be clear at some point. And that's the scriptures that were read this morning from 1 Corinthians. I'd like to, to reread a few of those scriptures, uh, starting with uh, uh, verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. His comparison was, when I was a child, I was incomplete. Then when I became a full man and I saw everything as an adult, it was a different picture. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully no. We know in part. We know in partial. We see only this much. We can only see so much. For we are looking through, you know, putting 9 and 12 together, we're looking into a mirror dimly. And I'm sure most of you have heard Bible studies read or, or, or listened to messages on this, but the idea is just the mirrors at the time that this is being talked about were normally metallic, metal, uh, polished, and you know, you you look at them, and you you, you get uh, it. It never gives you a real clear, precise reflection. Okay, and so how many of you even today you go into into some restroom and they've replaced the mirror with some metal thing, and you're sitting there. You know, uh, you know, you can't see clearly is the whole point here. We we can we know what's there. We can catch a glimpse of it. We're pretty sure. In fact, when I look in even those metal mirrors, I know who that I'm looking at. Me. Well, in a sense, when I look into this mirror of of, of, of God, I know I see Christ and I know it's Him. But do I see Him absolutely clearly in every facet? No. And I've been we've been given His Word to to give us. A, a, a picture, if you will, of him. And still, even with all of this, I, I, I realize that 
I'm only catching glimpses. In fact, I'm so sure of this because over my Christian walk, what I understood of God when I began my walk with the Lord versus where I am now is not the same person. Hopefully that would be the case for all of us. Why? Because I'm putting bits and pieces together over a period of time more and more and it's becoming more complete, but it's still not complete. It's still partial. We know a little, we see a little. And that's because we're already saved, already a part of the kingdom of God. We can have that. If you aren't saved, you don't even get that. You can read the word of God and come up with all sorts of conclusions and thoughts and ideas but if you're not saved, that's all they're going to be is conclusions, thoughts, and ideas. You might even actually quote one right, but fully miss its power and its meaning. Because without Christ in you, without the Holy Spirit, you won't glean from it what you need. It says in verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial, what is he talking about? What we know in part when the perfect comes, we will see completely. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. No longer will I be what? Looking in the mirror dimly. No longer will I be seeing like with blinders on bits and pieces. I will see completely. In fact, he says, we shall know fully as we have been fully known. See, Christ sees us already completely, <laughs> okay? We shall come to that point where we know just like we have already been known by God. We will now know. We will see it completely. I know that there's uh, various teachings on what the perfect is. Some teach that the New Testament is the perfect. I'm not going to argue that the New Testament is perfect. <laughs> I'm not going to argue that the, the word of God is perfect in the sense that it's God-given, God-breathed in that every sense of the word. But I am convinced because of the consequences of when the perfect comes that what he's talking about is the second coming of Christ. Because if it was just this, I would see clearly then, wouldn't I? Without any missing anything. But I still don't see. Uh, Paul wasn't referring, he was thinking of the coming of Christ here. And at that point in time, we will see clearly. So, while I am a child of God, I belong to the kingdom of God, I'm a part of a royal nation, a chosen child of God, I still know in part, see dimly, I am a sojourner and an exile. I am waiting for completion of God's plan. Now, the obvious next question, what do I do while I'm waiting? And I'll tell you, there's a lot of ideas about this, what you do is while you're waiting. But there's a tendency in some ways, you know, just to kind of go, oh, come soon, Lord Jesus. You can't see what I'm doing. I'm twiddling my thumb. That's not easy for me to do because one thumb doesn't like to do that. But, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, come soon, Lord Jesus. I'm, you know, 
nothing wrong with wanting the Lord to come soon. Paul says it, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. I'm convinced, though, that our primary motivation for that is not to be done with this world as much as it is to be able to say, he is king of kings, lord of lords, and every knee bows and gives him the glory he is deserved. Longing for that to be a part of that, that time of his second coming. Paul gives us at least a partial answer, if you will, for the sake of just giving you something to work with from this morning in his letter to the Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Please do not separate those verses. <laughs> they, uh, they go together, because if not, you're going to be over here trying to work out your own salvation, and you can't do it. Okay, So what is he, he, he talking about here? Paul gives us his answer. What is already in us, our justification, our salvation, we are to work out. And that is a very literal picture. What is in us, is to be worked out, okay? And what he's talking about is the building of, of your, your walk with the Lord. We have gone from mature or immature to mature. Isn't that the reality? I just mentioned that when I started as my walk with Christ, I had this much knowledge and I had this much understanding. I knew for the first time in my life, I knew who Jesus Christ really is. But I did not have a clue as to how it all fell into place. Now I have a few clues. <laughs> and I'm just, uh, more than anything else, I sit back in, in, in awe. Because I can see the older I get, the more clearly how God has worked through other circumstances, even non-believers, and even before I was a Christian, bringing people across my path, setting the stage for my relationship with him. Growing in the Lord. From milk to meat is another phrase we use. As we begin as an infant, we drink the milk. As we grow and mature, we take on the meat. By the way, do you ever stop drinking the milk? Not really, in the sense of... of, of of always being there foundationally. How, you know, Paul rem reminds us over and over again about the foundation, never to let that slip out of sight. But we're building on this foundation. Building is a process. It's a working out of what God has planned already. And that's what he says here. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's working out God's plan. Unfolding the mysteries is another way of putting it. When I say mystery, only in reference to things I didn't know but do and see now, you know, unfolding. 
desiring to know and understand God better. What God has done, growing in that and seeing what he has done and, and coming to grips with various aspects of, of, of things that I don't understand even there, and as, as, as I look at what he is currently doing and looking ahead to what he is going to do. Seeking, growing in the presence of God in me. Seeking and growing in that relationship of, of God in me, Holy Spirit working in me. And I realized, you know, all through uh, my life, and as I walk with the Lord, there's all various points. I, 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 points of communion. Points of where we, we, I, 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 we come together. Coming together as a worship is a point of communion with God. Coming together, you know, in, in prayer or by prayer by yourself. Reading the word, points of communion, places where we come. God wants those to become like this, more frequent, to the point where we will even be walking in an attitude of prayer so that we could say prayer without ceasing, okay, to where those points become lines and the lines become, a, uh, you know, a, from line segments to a full line kind of a picture. And, and, and we travel into this thing where it gets greater and greater. And, and, and that, that comes by the points of, of communion becoming longer in nature, <laughs> more duration, if you will. Oh, I, I, I walk in the garden and I desire to what? I know it's not scriptural, but it's a neat song. Uh, to to sit, sit there and stay with him. I walk, you know, he says, nope, you've got to go. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but that idea of, of, of communion with God, desiring it, wanting it, and wanting more of it. And the more you want of that, the truer that Maranatha statement comes because you'll know what you'll see in full at that point. And the hunger and the desire to see that grows. I'm working out, in a sense, what is already done until it is complete. God sees it from the, from, from the, the end, from the beginning. So it's already in its, done, but I'm working it out until it's complete. And I thought about this as, again, one more question. If I already have it, meaning saved and I know the future, I rest in Christ, then why bother on the workout part? I'm going to have to make this personal for you because all I can say is if I already have it, I have found, which is true, I have it. I know I have it. I can't help myself. I want to work it out. I want to get close. I want to see him clearly. I am anxious for the new heaven and the new earth. But until that time, to live is Christ. I know I win, so dying is gain, but it, right now it's to live as Christ. And it's something that has grown in me more and more and more. I have passed from death into life. Child of God. I want to know him who has saved me. I, I can't proceed any other way. When I do, my conscience interrupts and says, oops, wrong way or more demonstratively, if necessary. 
I'm a new creature in Christ. Paul makes that absolutely clear. I am free in Christ. All because of what Christ has done. Not anything I bring to the table, but what he has done and put in me as I work it out. When I'm working it out, I'm not doing anything but accomplishing what he's already put in me to work out. And he did it at the cross. I'd ask the ushers to come to pass the communion out until we've all been served, and then we'll share it together.
get some. I was a wretch, but now I'm saved. By the way, you know, as a public domain song, there's people that take certain liberties, and there's, there have been people who have reworded that phrase. Instead of saying wretch, they just put man, you know, the man that I was, instead of a wretch like me, they say a man like me, missing the whole intent of what the, the writer of the song really, we were wretched in our fallenness, but now we're saved. And then looking ahead, 10,000 years will be nothing as we praise God. Uh, quickly share a scripture with you from Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, wretched, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Already, not yet even there in that passage, looking to that future where it will all be completed. But we know it will happen. Paul calls it our great hope, but hope in the most amazing sureness. Not like, I hope it doesn't rain, or I hope it's sunny, but a hope that is absolutely fixed in God and his promises. And all I can say when people say, how can you rest so positively in that, is because I have read, seen, and experienced already what he has done. Look what he did. gives us that perfect picture from the, the, the night of the supper with his disciples taking the bread giving thanks to the father breaking the bread he passes it to the disciples and he asks each of them he says eat each of you basically you know and 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 this is my body broken for you and he asked us as often as we would eat this as they did that night to do it in remembrance of him Taking a cup of wine from the table at the end of the supper, he says, this is my blood poured out for you. To purchase the covenant, as often as you drink it, remember me. And he said, ask us again to do it until the not yet is complete, until he comes again. Father, we come this morning and again one more time saying thank you. Sounds like such a small word, such an amazing thing. 
But we ask, Lord, that that thank you would come from the very depth of who we are in a sense of that desire to, to grow in our walk with you, to grow in our understanding of you, to grow in our ministry of one to another because of you and for you. Father, to, to realize that we rest with absolute confidence that you've plucked us from the fire, from the darkness, and have set us in grace on the rock with you. Thank you. And Lord, we also rest in absolute confidence that when our, when our, when our consciences do bring conviction through your Holy Spirit, on things that we shouldn't do or shouldn't say or things that, you know, that are inappropriate in our walk with you that don't glorify you, that we will say thank you even now for convicting us so that we could see the areas that we need to work out, in a sense, our salvation, to get the strength from you to move ahead in our walk with you and our understanding and our knowing of who you are. Longing for that day, Lord, even now, as we think Maranatha comes in, longing for the day where we will see clearly, face to face. We worship you. We thank you in Jesus' name.